This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds and Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Find out what Reynolds is up to in the digital retailing space by visiting reyrey.com slash register. That's R-E-Y, slash register. I'm Jason Stein, publisher of Automotive News, and this is Daily Drive for Wednesday, May 26th. The buy-sell world has been a roller coaster since the first days of COVID, maybe even before that. The thinking back in February of 2020, things were a bit unsettled in the space. Was there a future in owning retail? Was there really a business case for dealers staying in the industry? And that was all before a pandemic. What happened next was an all-out panic. As COVID took hold, the dealer world wondered about the future of the industry or the bottom of the crisis, but for different reasons. The entrepreneurial spirit of retailers, combined with the reopening of manufacturing facilities, led to a resurgence in vehicle sales, hot consumer demand, and all of a sudden those who wanted out of dealerships wanted back in. Or more entrants found the retail world attractive again. Froth was the operative word. And then the semiconductor issue took shape. What to do if you're watching this from the sidelines or as an active participant? What to think about SPACs? the most talked-about word in the industry outside of semiconductors. Stephen Dietrich, a partner with Holland & Knight in Denver and a prominent dealership lawyer, has watched this all transpire with a ringside seat to buying and selling, including one of the more prominent deals of the last decade. His perch is a unique one, analyzing deals, closing deals, and observing the industry's tempo up close and personal. To talk about all of it, we've reached Stephen Dietrich in Denver, Colorado. Stephen Dietrich, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the show. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. How are you today? Doing well. Um, I want to start off with uh, probably your your view has been one of the more unique views of the industry over the course of the last, I'll go back 14, 15 months, and we'll go start of pre-COVID. What were you seeing and hearing? And you and I oftentimes will see each other at NADA. We saw each other, I think, at NADA 2020. What were you seeing and hearing before COVID really took shape in the industry? I think, I think we were seeing um, people trying to access, access the market. I think there was, even at that point in time, there was a fair number of folks who were thinking of, you know, selling or, or looking to partner with, with folks, uh, even, at, even at that point in time. Um, the, the industry was certainly healthy. The dealerships were doing well. Uh, there was certainly value being seen in well-run dealerships. And so I think even at the time, there was a good healthy healthy mix coming off of, you know, obviously several good years of earnings. There may have been a little bit of a plateau just coming into that, which was an interesting, as you look back on the fact that, you know, a plateau, um, you know, right, right when the pandemic started, people would have loved it to had that plateau. So mm-hmm. um, before everything started, it was, it was healthy, it was good, um, but it was not you know, peaks or valleys types of things, but it was a, a steady, solid piece, partially because the operations of the dealerships had, I don't want to say leveled off because that's that's too aggressive of a term, but was not nearly the, the robust business that it had seen for the several years before. Okay. So then March of 2020 rolls around and what happens to the buy-sell market over the course of the next couple of months, the first few months of the pandemic? You know, everyone seemed to take a big pause uh, if they could. And I think that that, that's probably what a lot of people did because no one really knew what was going to happen in this industry or any industry. 
but we we did still continue to do some activity, and part of that was, in, in all reality, I think contractual obligations. Uh, you had contracts that were in place, and you know, an event like the pandemic, you know, it, it doesn't you don't know what's coming. You can't plan for it in a contract, and so there was there was everything from I'm going to buy, I'm going to honor these contracts, I'm going to you know keep that moving forward, and let's keep on pace and close deals. And you saw some of those happen. You also saw folks who looked at it and said, I, I don't want to go forward and either, you know, gracefully negotiated the end of, of certain transactions or not so gracefully broke, broke contracts and, you know, didn't, didn't close. And so it was very, very bumpy and odd. And, and, it, and it really may have, it really did seem to depend on uh, the buyers involved if, you know, how they viewed kind of, what they thought was going to happen when the pandemic ended, what that, what that timing meant wasn't as important as why, what they thought the business might look like, you know, at that time in those first three or four months, it was all over the place. I mean, people, you know, were, you know, this is the end of everything, or this is a great opportunity. And the buy sell market was affected by those personalities and the way people looked at it. And, and you know, I said, people, paused. a lot of people paused. If, if I had to mm-hmm. say something that was an overarching effort, I would say people wanted to wait and see uh, what would happen. If they had to act, then decisions were made. But if possible, people paused to see what was going to play out over that three or four month period of time. So they paused and then they hit fast forward. Because when you and I saw each other, I think late in 2020, um, you told me it was an unbelievable pace that had now been established. That was true, right? I, they yes. They got yeah. right back into things. Yeah, I mean, it was it was very interesting to see, you know, I, I'd say beginning into the fall of, of 2020, when the normalization of the industry, given the backdrop of the pandemic, was starting to be seen in the sense that, you know, the the, the sky is falling type of things didn't occur. Uh, many dealers, uh, which is a hallmark of the industry, adapted in any number of ways. All of the adaptations were the same, but what was clear is the industry was going to adapt, was looking to adapt, was able to adapt. And I think that looked at, you know, people, people looked at that and said, all right, the industry is stable. And it was interesting because you saw that from outside the industry as well as inside the industry, um, people who looked at the industry before, you know, I'll say outside, looked at it and said, hey, they, they handled a pretty tough storm pretty well. And so then people reengaged and said, this is a place that I'd like to put some money. And you had strategic folks who were looking at it saying, I want to stay in. I want more. And you also had a few people that said, I want out. So it was a very interesting mix of accelerated thought, I guess, is the best way to put it, that people who thought, hey, maybe I want to get out in a year or two, said, I really want to go through the recovery or whatever this change in the industry is going to be. So that accelerated the desire, I think, to get out in a lot of people's places. Um, and the people who thought the industry did great and saw great opportunity with the changes that were accelerated uh, wanted to get in faster and deeper. So you had both sides wanting to act more quickly, and that that accelerated the you know what some people say the frothiness of the market certainly accelerated into the tail end of 2020 and and continued into 2021. And some of that froth was brought on by um, kind of entirely new investment vehicles and. We talked to you at Automotive News a couple of months ago um, about SPACs, and at the time you said you had a half dozen or more franchise clients who had talked to you about SPACs since the fall of 2020. 
a couple of clients really dug into it and wanted to see if it made sense. So you had that additional element come into the marketplace, right, Stephen? Yes. Yeah. It's certainly the the SPAC fever, which you know, given you know today, you know, the twenty fourth of May, if you would have asked me the question, which you did um, three or four months ago, it was a very different environment. Now, given what has come out with all the scrutiny and the aspects of SPACs, it's like the the, the SPAC craze has almost run its entire cycle in 2021, which is which is interesting. Not that they're going away, don't get me wrong, nor any of that sort, but it certainly was very, very aggressive coming out of 2020 and into 2021. And um, we haven't seen any major SPACs in, in the auto space as of this point in time, and I'll be curious to see if, if any actually complete given kind of where they stand at, as we speak at this this point in time. Um, it just it wasn't the right vehicle for a lot of folks in the auto, auto space uh, for any, any any number of reasons. It was it was a great idea, great thought. I think when people really dug into it and realized, you know, what does it actually take to be a public company? What does that actually mean? And is there really going to be a market for another public auto company? Um, I'm not saying there isn't, but it you know when you really dig into those issues, I think that caused enough people to pause and think about it. And that pause was long enough given what we can now look back on and see the life cycle of that, of that phase that, you know, people have, you know, they didn't act immediately. The, the pause will probably remain for a while until it settles down. A lot of talk of public groups um, getting more uh, active in the buy sell space. And of course you were a part of a major transaction that occurred between Lithia Motors and uh, Southeast Michigan Suburban Collection, 34 dealerships in the deal, expected to add $2.4 billion in annual revenue. You worked on that deal in a pretty quick fashion, didn't you? Yes. Yeah, it came, came, came to the relatively quickly. I, I, can't, I can't recall the exact, the exact timing, um, but it was very, very quick for any sort of a transaction, but certainly for a transaction with that many moving pieces and, and, and dealerships. It was certainly a tour de force of, of effort on both sides to get it done. It was one of the largest ever acquisitions for Lithia, as well as one of the largest auto retail transactions of the past decade. What was the hallmark of the deal, if you will? I, I think the hallmark is, you know, cooperation I, across across all levels of that, which which was really one of the ways that a deal of that size is going going to get done in in any fashion, especially at that particular speed. And, and by the cooperation, I mean that there was certainly fair conversations on both sides, and you know everyone had their views of the world. But there was a common design of saying, "Look, we want this transaction to get to get completed," and the the business teams worked together very very well. Uh, people were focused on getting what they needed done. The professionals involved, you know, the, the accounting side, the legal side, and the third party vendors were all bought in to we're all working and rolling to get this transaction done together. And granted, there were there were different sides, if you want to use that word in quotes, meaning a buyer and a seller, but everyone had a common goal and it was expressed top to bottom that the common goal was to let's get this transaction done and let's make sure that everyone is comfortable with what's happening. And that, you know, probably cut months off the time because you know, there wasn't a lot of animosity in the transaction. Not that there weren't some interesting conversations, but there wasn't animosity. Everyone had the common goal from start to finish. So when you look at that, transaction and you see what's happening in the marketplace are the private deals getting done at the same pace as the public deals or are publics outweighing privates at this stage 
I, I think that there's probably a good balance. Uh, you know, there's a lot of there's a fair number of private deals getting done, many of which you know don't either don't get announced or announced. You know, oh hey, did you hear that type of thing? As opposed to the requirements, obviously, with a public company where they, you know, they have to report you know various stages of the transaction when it closes. So, I think there there is a lot of activity on the private side that is either going unreported or, like I said, not as widely reported. You know, on a national national scale. Um, but I also think that the, the the public folks are. You know, also very, you know, very aggressively looking at various transactions. Uh, I mean, you can read it in their reports. You can read it in their, you know, their earnings calls, and it's a little easier to get a, a little a more depth uh, of understanding, you know, with the public companies because of the reporting requirements. But I do not think the private side is lagging, either for effort or getting getting deals done. Perhaps not on the size of that that particular transaction, but there are few that are that large anyway. But there are there. There are dealership groups and significant number of dealerships trading hands on the private side as well. We'll hear more from Stephen Dietrich after this message. Consumers today are pushing for remote and virtual experiences. What you may think is a simple fix by going fully online quickly results in an even bigger problem, loss of control and shrinking profit margins. The question isn't if you go online, it's how. How is it done in a way that you don't sacrifice the success of your overall dealership? The answer? Tune in starting May 17th for a virtual summit hosted by Reynolds & Reynolds. You will gain educational insight into all things digital retail, challenges to the status quo, how to retail anywhere without sacrificing anything, and the true impact on dealerships just like yours through one-on-one dealer conversations. This event is on us and on demand. Grab a seat while they last. We hope to see you there. To register for the virtual summit and learn more about retail anywhere, visit reyrey.com slash register. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y.com slash register. Other trends, Stephen, that you're seeing uh, in the buy sell market at this at this time? You've been around this business for a long time. You've seen the ebbs and flows. Uh, probably you haven't seen the velocity of the ebbs and flows of the last 14 months uh, as many times as you have here recently. But what else are you seeing that uh, we need to be watching out for? Uh, I think I think what is really interesting to me is there are many different ways people are trying to understand 2020 and put it into context. In any buy-sell conversation, you always look at historical performance, and some some people think that's what everything should be based on. Other people say it should be based on potential. I'm not I'm not going to dive into that particular uh, swamp at this point in time because they, you know, there's people on both sides of that. But what is a common factor is that data from 2020 has to be dealt with, and so it is interesting to see how people are thinking about 2020. Is it an aberration? You know, does it show some underlying strength or weakness of a dealership group or dealership, how it performed, you know, if it only performed above X percent, is that something that's wrong as opposed to, you know, performing X plus some percent. So that's a unique factor, which is interesting because it affects every dealership in, in almost the same way. Obviously there's geographic differences in how the pandemic affected local markets and whatnot, but for the most part, you very rarely get, one fact that every dealership has has been affected by, and that's been an interesting to see how different people t- 
take that and how aggressive they get or not aggressive they get in the pricing. Um, so that's one really interesting fact in the last you know 12, 12 months or so on how that's being dealt with. The other, th- the other trend and other issue I think that's out there is the health of the industry. Uh, the, the pandemic really showed what many people who are associated with the industry know is that it is a really healthy and it is a very creative industry. And uh, the folks participating in it take curveballs better better than most uh, industries or as well as any. And maybe is a better way to say it, um, not wanting to disparage other industries in the, in the, in the country. But and I think that's been a, that's that's accelerated people's desires to get into the space. I think um, we all hear that there's capital out there, there's capital available, or money on the side, or whatever phraseology you might look at. When people are looking where to where to put that money. I think it has accelerated the desire for strategic folks to reinvest in the industry if they believe the industry is healthy, and they believe that some of the disruption or innovation um, is going to be healthy or value add. I think that's one of the reasons why you're seeing some acceleration of strategics, you know, to grow and consolidate um, because they're they're like, I want to get started. This industry is healthy. Let's let me reinvest my money here. Um, folks outside the industry look at it and say, one of the healthier industries, given the curveball that was thrown, uh, let's get our let's deploy our money. So I think there's been an accelerated desire to get. If you like the industry, people are trying to get into it as quickly as they can to capture that value and and continue to use it. Why wait? Is their, is their attitude. It's amazing because <laughs> let's go back to where we started this conversation in NADA of 2019 or 2020. I don't think we'd be sitting around talking this way. I think we were, in fact, we were talking the opposite way in a lot of cases. Yeah, I, th- I, I think that's certainly the 2019 NADA and a little before that. That's why you know, earlier in this conversation, I used the word disruption. And then my next sentence uses the word innovation because I actually remember uh, uh, a conversation or hearing about that actually at one of your your events that one person's disruption is another person's innovation. Mm-hmm. And at the time, there was a lot of disruption or innovation, depending on what you want to say. And that was creating a lot of skittishness about the industry, where it may go, where it may not go. And that was the talk of the town, you know, those sorts of issues. And I, I guess, you know, when, when you have an event, you know, like, the, like a pandemic uh, or something to sort of circle the wagons and say, how are we going to do? We have you know, an outside threat, so to speak. And it really, I think, lays bare the good and the bad of, of, of any situation. And I think what came through in a lot of people's minds was there's more good than not in the industry, despite its many challenges and interesting things that are happening in it. Uh, you looked at the customer base and, and other things. There's just a general health that seems out there, you know, that despite what the pandemic may have done, it didn't didn't you know lay bare some inherent weakness or problem with the industry in in fact it seemed to have done the opposite that people are like yeah, we may not know where exactly this is going to end up it's a winding road but it's going to it's going to be okay and i think that's been helpful people want to try to invest in something where they think hey it's going to be okay i think that's one of the big drivers of the current current efforts right now out there in the buy sell world has the chip issue changed the buy sell market at all I think it has, and I think it may do a little bit more depending on how it ever gets resolved. Uh, as I mentioned a little earlier, people were thinking about how to deal with 2020 earnings, and that's a back backward-looking view of the world. And a lot of folks who are buying or selling like to base pricing perhaps on potential. Well, 
if you have this, the chip issues out there, like, oh, am I going to have inventory? Am I not going to have inventory? What is the potential? And so it 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 affects the conversation on, okay, great. If, if I expect to have earnings and operations in the same manner that were there, and that's what I'm paying for, but I have this this issue out here that is going to affect my availability of getting inventory, especially perhaps on some of the more popular inventory. Um, it it is starting to affect the the pricing side of things, or at least the pricing conversation. Uh, whether whether it's a big discount on price, which I haven't seen as of yet, but certainly people talking about when they're looking at their return on investment and trying to price something out, saying, "Look, I I don't know that this is going to be able to be done. I don't you know how long is the chip." issue going to affect inventory? Is that a quarter issue? Is it a you know, half a year issue? Is it a year issue? So we are starting to hear it. Um, we've got seen different solutions um, to, to that, but it hasn't fully ramped up. I think part of the reason, because no one quite knows you know, what the end might be. If, if suddenly it comes out, so look, we'll be fully staffed up by the end of 2021, and this is the effect it's going to have on production, then that'll drive one thing. If it's an unknown, I think it'll have a bigger effect on pricing. Similar to the 2020 conversation about what your dealership's value is worth. Fascinating. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. S- Stephen, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for sharing your insight and, and your experiences. And I know we will check in again uh, later for sure. Well, great. Thank you so much for the time. I look forward to it. We reached Stephen Dietrich in Denver, Colorado. And that's Daily Drive for Wednesday, May 26th. For breaking news, go to autonews.com. And for a library of more than 300 interviews, go to autonews.com slash daily drive. We'll be back Thursday.